0: Good morning church, Woo. good to see you all, please turn in your Bibles to 1st John, 1st John, the book of 1st John, while you're turning there, I'd like to perform, I'd like to have a little bit of an exercise, I'd like to help you grow in 2023, to be a vocal church, to be an involved church, to be an engaged church, so can I get a better, good morning, good morning. all right, can I get a yes Lord, yes, Lord. amen. Joel Thompson, can you give us a good, like, yes, however you do that. Come on. On the spot. Oh, it doesn't perform. Okay, well, I tried. We'll keep working with Joel, too. I'll work throughout the message today to help you be engaged, not just in the heart, but in your body as well. We worship the Lord with our heart, soul, mind, our whole body. And so we want to be engaged through the preaching of God's Word. We are not just passive receivers, we are actively engaged in the preaching of God's Word to receive by faith and to worship under His Word. And so, with that, uh, if you are taking notes, the title of our sermon is Confessing Our Sin. Confessing Our Sin, we are in 1 John, but I'll begin here today in a place where I think we can all agree on, something we can all agree on, and that's this, nobody likes a fake, Amen. Nobody likes a fake. Even in our airbrush culture, we despise counterfeits and crave authenticity. Everyone wants everyone else to be real. And everybody struggles to be real themselves. If we are honest, we often try and appear to be what what in fact we are not. Take social media for instance. There we hand select what we want people to see and know about us. Social media lets us paint beautiful pictures of our lives. We are the ones who tell funny jokes, share profound quotes or passages, decorate our houses ever so cutely, have the sweetest family and the greatest of times with our besties. Looking at our lives through the lens of social media, it would often appear as if we have everything. Rarely do we post about the other half of our life, maybe the truer half of our life. Update, I've just spent 30 minutes staring at other people's lives, hashtag jealous. Spending the weekend alone, lol. Struggling with lust today, could you please pray for me? easy to fake it on social media, and it's easy to fake it here in church as well, to try and appear better than you are. I'm sure most, if not all of you, know what it's like to struggle with a sin late into Saturday evening, or even, dare we admit it, get into a fight on the way to church Sunday morning, or in the hustle and bustle of getting ready, and you know, dad is stomping their house and come on, we've got to go, we've got to go. And then and, and dragging kids through this parking lot, trying to rush out and get inside. And then, you know, you get to that door and then something magical happens. <laughs> Hello. Hi, good morning. How am I? I'm good. I'm good. Right? And the kids are all behind you saying, I don't know how good he is. <laughs> We insist we're good when we're not. We tell people we're fine when we're not okay. And we do this because it is our natural and sinful tendency to try and appear to be what we are not. To try to appear to be better than we are. We do this with each other and we do this with God. When we come before Him corporately, like we are right now, or when we approach Him daily, in our devotions, or even throughout the day with little interludes with God, it is our natural and sinful tendency to try and appear to be what we are not before God, to try and appear before Him as better than we are. We kid ourselves, but we are not kidding God. Our topic today, and the title of our sermon, is Confessing Our Sin. To confess something means to acknowledge something. Uh, In other words... It means honesty is an essential component to confession. Honesty is essential to confession. To confess our sins is to be honest with God that we have done something and that that something has affected our relationship with Him. That something has disrupted our fellowship with Him. That something is inhibiting our intimacy with Him. And so that makes this topic that we are considering today of significant importance. Our passage is 1 John. We'll spend most of our time looking at verses 8 and 9, but we do want to consider its larger context, so I'll begin reading in chapter chapter 1, verse 5, on down through chapter 2, verse 2. Please follow along. This is what Holy Scripture says. This is the message we have heard from him, And proclaim to you that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness. We lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light. If we say we have not sinned. We make him. A liar. And his word. Is not in us. My little children. I am writing these things to you. So that you may not sin. But. If anyone does sin. We have an advocate. With the father. Jesus Christ. The righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. We ask the Lord to now bless the preaching and the believing of His Word. We ask this in Jesus' name, Amen. 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 Thank you for joining with me in that prayer. In this passage, John is out to help us think rightly and respond rightly to our sin. That's what John is about in this section of his letter. How Christians are to think rightly and respond rightly to the sin in their life. But notice, right thinking about sin begins with, he teaches us here, right thinking about God. That's how John starts off this passage in verse 5 he says this is the message we have heard from him being Jesus Christ our Lord this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So the thinking begins with God. All right thinking about anything begins with God. God is the Alpha, he is the beginning The uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and of wisdom. All right thinking about anything starts with God, but we like to begin with ourselves. We like to start our thinking with us and our felt needs. We want to begin with us, we want to begin with our felt needs, and that's why there are a plethora of churches in our culture that are seeker-sensitive churches, felt-need churches. They want to please man, so they begin with man, they continue with man, and they end with man. But that's not how we do things at this church. That's not how things go down here at Covenant of Grace Church. We endeavor, by God's grace, to begin with God. We begin with where scripture begins. We begin with where the gospel begins. We begin with God because all right thinking starts with God. And so if you want to think rightly about anything, and especially if you want to think rightly about sin, if you want to think rightly about it, John says you need to Start with God, and it's good for you to know this about God. He is light. God is light, okay. God is light, but what does this tell us about God? What is John communicating? Why do we need to understand this if we're going to need to understand our sin correctly? What does God being like light or being light tell us about God? Well, we know from passages like Romans 1... And Psalm 19, that God's invisible attributes, those things about him that we cannot see, though his invisible attributes are made visible, they are manifested, they are shown to us, they are displayed to us through the things he has made. So creation, the things that God's made, displays his glory. Creation, the things in creation, testify to who he is, tell us what he's like. So, for instance, when we see a tornado tearing across the plains, we are seeing his terrible power illustrated for us. When we consider the intricacy of the human body or the complexities of the vast universe, we are witnessing God's incomprehensible intelligence displayed forth. Can I just say, as as an aside, this is why secular education is just not helpful. All knowledge starts with God. If you try to study creation apart from God, you're not understanding creation. It is here to display the glory of God. All right thinking begins with God. And so he, John, is telling us, um, God is light. Light being something God has made to communicate things to us about himself. God is light. His invisible attribute is made known through light and this is what it tells us. Namely, that God is all that is beautiful. He is all that is pure. He is all that is warm and life-giving and attractive which light communicates to us. That God is light means he is perfect, he is pure, he is brilliant, he is bright. God is the apex of moral excellence and he is altogether marvelous in our eyes, just like the sun is beautiful to behold. He is the one of whom the poet declares, My God, how wonderful Thou art! Thy majesty, how bright! How beautiful Thy mercy seat in depths of burning light! God is the Holy One who dwells in unapproachable light. And dear Christian, this is a wonderful truth for you to hold on to. This is a precious and powerful truth to know that the God you serve, the one you have fixed your hope firmly upon, the God of the Bible, the Triune God, your God, He is light and in Him is no darkness at all. This means there is no secrecy in God. There is no moral inconsistencies in God. There are no dark corners to God. There are no hidden agendas to God. God is the father of lights with whom there is no shadow of turning. Now, I have six kids. And so, when I see an advertisement that tells me that such and such a restaurant, on Wednesday nights, children eat free with the purchase of an adult meal. I think, well, hallelujah, that's some bright light. Six kids eating free is a big deal. So uh, that's a brilliant, that's a bright, that's a wonderful, that's good news. And so I pack up my family and I take them to that restaurant and I sit down and I say, I'll have a hamburger and she'll have a hamburger uh, and we want six meals for these ones. And they say, well, you get a kid's meal per adult meal that you buy so two adult meals you're going to get two kids meals free. That's not what the advertisement said. You said kids eat free. There's darkness in your bright light. there's no darkness like that in God. You're not going to die and get to heaven and find out he had some hidden agenda. That's right. That he had some small print that you didn't notice. That he had something he just held back and didn't tell you. That he said it one way but really meant it another way. God is light. Light. this is a precious and powerful truth about God. And perhaps you're beginning to see now what it is John is doing here and taking on the topic of sin and how it affects our relationship with God. John is showing us this is who you're in fellowship with. This is who you relate to. And so it is utterly impossible, utterly illogical, utterly incredulous to say, in verse 6, We have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, John says, you're the liar, not God. You are the liar, not God. In Him is no darkness. In other words, fake Christians walk in darkness. Fake Christians walk in darkness. People who are not honest with God, not honest with each other, and often not honest with themselves. Fake Christians walk in darkness. False Christians walk in darkness. But verse 7 says, but if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus' his Son cleanses us from all sin. So, a real and true Christian, an honest and an open Christian doesn't walk in darkness, but walks in the light. Amen. But then the question becomes, what does it mean to walk in the light? I mean, we could kind of flatten it down and say, okay, well, I probably just means to do the right thing, but like, But what exactly does it mean to walk in the light? Well, think about it. To walk in the light means to walk naked and utterly exposed before God. Every part of you exposed. All of him exposing all of you who are. It means getting honest about yourself all the way down. Not faking anything. But instead, confessing everything. Walking in the light means letting go of how you'd like others to perceive you, including God. And instead, admitting where you have been walking in darkness and where you need to step out into His marvelous light. You see, if you walk in darkness, you have no fellowship with Him. But John wants us, God wants us to walk in the light and have fellowship with Him. So the content of this sermon, what John is writing about is how do you stay in the light then? Or how do you get out of that darkness and into the light? How do you stay in the light so you can have fellowship with God? And the key to that. The use of that, the way that you do that is through the practice of confession. Through the act of confessing your sins, confessing your darkness, so that you are brought into his marvelous light. And so, with that, we have two points that we want to look at this morning. Point number one, the need for confession. Point number one, the need for confession. Look again with me at verses 8 and 9. If we say, we have no sin we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, we need to make some observations of this passage. Uh, The first we want to observe is this. The implication here is Everyone has sin to confess. Everyone has sin to confess. Every one of us. John includes even himself in the we here. We all have sin to confess. Each of us has sin to confess. And John is not talking here about past sins, but he's talking about present and ongoing sins. We see this in verse 9, where the word confess in the original Greek is speaking about a continual action. It's a common and constant action. So John's. Not talking about sins in the past, but sins in the present that we all now have to confess. That's observation number one. Observation number two is this. This word for confess here is a very interesting one. The the Greek word is homo legeo. Uh, Homo being the same. And legeo meaning to speak. So to speak the same it it literally means to speak the same thing to say the same thing to acknowledge the same thing this means confession is speaking the same thing about something saying the same thing about something as God says about it it's to agree with God to acknowledge with God to call something as God calls it so for example uh, What God calls sexual immorality, we do not call fooling around. Or what God says is wrong or rebellion, we do not excuse away and say, well, everyone does it. No, confession is calling it what God calls it. So to confess is to say or to speak the, thing, speak the same thing about something that God speaks about it. All right, third observation we want to make here. Note this in verse 9. It is a conditional statement. A conditional John says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. If, if we do what we are responsible for, God will do what he has promised to do. If we confess our sins, if we acknowledge them, if we get honest about them, it's our job to confess, yes, I did such and such. This is why I did it. It was really wrong of me, and boy, I made a mess of things. This is our contribution to this transaction, while God's is that of forgiving. His is that of cleansing. His is the fixing up and the putting back together everything that we blew apart. Our contribution is the sin... That needs forgiven and honesty about that sin. Now, note this though, because this is where we go deeper. John says in verse 8: But if we say we have no sin, then we deceive ourselves. In other words, If you don't have sin to regularly and specifically confess, that is not a sign of godliness. It is a sign of self-deceit. If you do not have sin to regularly and specifically confess, that is not a sign of godliness. It is a sign of self-deceit. To illustrate this, let me tell you a story uh, that Sean O'Donnell tells in his commentary about a man who confronted, a man who had the audacity to go up and confront uh, Mr. Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, the great 19th century preacher. He went up and confronted Mr. Spurgeon and told Mr. Spurgeon that he had attained, not Spurgeon, but the man, sinlessness. He had reached the top. He was now without sin. Spurgeon found this interesting, intriguing even. So, you know, I, I'm curious, what would you do if someone came up to you and said that? Just think about that for a minute. Just think about it in your head, you don't have to tell me. This, this is not audible moment. This is an in-your head moment. Think about, what would you do if someone get, you know, "I've attained sinlessness? This is how Spurgeon dealt with it. He invited the man home, to his home, for dinner. And through the course of dinner, he had the man explain his position and reiterate his claims of sinlessness. After he had done so, Spurgeon rose from his chair, picked up a glass of water, and flung it in the man's face. (laughs) To which, Spurgeon says, that sinless man showed his imperfections, allowing his anger to cross the line of courtesy. To which Spurgeon then replied, Ah, you see, the old man within you is not as dead as you claim. He had simply fainted, but I have revived him with a glass of water. (laughs) I really want someone to come up and claim that with me now. Now I know how to answer this. Now I know how to take this on. That is fantastic. This story illustrates, though, for us the ongoing reality of sin in all of us, but it also illustrates something of the self-deceit we can live under. We often think that we are better than we actually are. We often present ourselves as better than we truly are. Granted, I don't think any of you would claim to have reached sinlessness. And yet the truth is, we are all experts at using all kinds of shifts and evasions to keep us from having to be honest about our sin. To illustrate, here are a number of examples for you of the kinds of shifts and evasions we all use. Number one, we justify what we did. We say... Well, I don't suppose it was a very understanding thing to say, but I was just telling my wife the truth. We justify what we did. Another one is we excuse what we did. We acknowledge it was wrong, but it all happened so fast, and besides, she started it. We excuse what we did. Yes, it was wrong, but they did this. Yes, it was wrong, but I'd had a hard day. Evasion number three, we hide what we did. This happened in the Garden of Eden. Our parents sinned and hid themselves from God, and we do the same thing. Nobody knows what we did. Nobody's going to know what we did, and we just like to keep it that way. But of course, when Adam and Eve hid from, the, from God in the Garden, he did not think that their sin was covered. He did not think, oh, I can't find them, so I guess they did not sin. Point number four. We're vague about what we did. We're vague about what we did. Lord, forgive me for anything I might have done today. Lord, forgive me for my shortcomings and my pride, as we all are proud. We're vague about our sin. But vagary is not a confession. Confession is speaking about it the way God speaks about it. Shift number five, we rename what we did. We rename it. We call it a mistake. We call it a problem. Uh, We call it a diagnosis. Which may be true as far as it goes, but when God calls it a sin and you call it only a mistake or a problem, that's not confession. When God calls it rebellion and you call it an error or an oops or a little slip up, that is not a confession. Number six, another evasion we use is we shrug off what we did. We shrug it off. Oh, well, nobody's perfect. Everybody does this. I had something of this happen this morning to myself. I got up early, very early, to serve you all. Oh, I just, I get up and I just, I want to, I want to pray and, and be before the Lord for your sake. You. But, yeah, you're welcome. But we got a dog for Christmas. A little puppy. He's cute. But he was not cooperating with me this morning. So I'm up early, and I think the gracious thing for me to do is let that dog out so he can do his business and the beautiful creation. God has given this you know, huge bathroom he has outside. He can go and use that and and so I let him out to go do that and then I brought him back in to be with me while I'm you know, getting ready for the day and, and keep some company and, and you know, he can join me in prayer and singing and oh to the Lord and it would be great and fantastic and all that stuff. And then I look down and what do my wondering eyes behold that the dog has gone in my house. And I think, I don't have time for this. Doesn't he know I have things to do, like to go pray and prepare a sermon for people that I want to serve? What are you doing? Why did you do this? I can't believe this. Get back in there. And I'm grumbling and complaining. Now it's very easy for me to just kind of calm down, get in my car, turn on some worship music, you know, get myself then in the right frame of mind. But who was I grumbling and complaining and frustrated and heeing and hawing over? It wasn't the dog. It was against the God who ordained my days. And so I'm kidding myself if I think I can walk in darkness even in that small way and have fellowship with the Lord. Because it was anger and it was anxiety and that needs to be confessed. Number seven, we give up because of what we did. We think, I'm going to do it again, so what's it matter? Number eight, another shift we use is we pass the buck over what we did. We point the finger. What did Adam say? It was the woman you gave me. She gave me the fruit. Number nine, we postpone confession over what we did. I'll confess it tomorrow morning after I've cooled down. I'll confess it next Sunday before the Lord's Supper. We put off confession. A tenth and final one we'll look at. We are overwhelmed by what we did. We think nobody could forgive something that, this bad. I mean, if other people at church knew what I had did, they would never treat me the right way. They would never treat me the same. And if they wouldn't, then surely God wouldn't because he's holier than they. So I can't bring this honestly before anybody else or even before the Lord. We just get overwhelmed by what. These are the sorts of shifts and evasions we employ when we are trying to avoid conviction. When we are trying to avoid simple and straightforward honesty with God. We shift and evade. We hem and we haul. We deceive ourselves saying it's not that bad or we'll get to it later. We do not practice the truth. And here is why we do this. Here is why we do this. Because we are afraid. That if we get honest about all our sin, it'll undo us. It'll undo us. I cannot be that honest about all my sin or about that sin. It will undo me. The truth is you probably don't feel like you can handle knowing how God truly sees you. You probably don't even feel like you can handle knowing how those around you right now truly see you. Much less God. The truth feels too hard. The truth seems too painful. It will just undo me. But friends, that's actually the whole point. The way we are supposed to be Undone. It's supposed to unravel us. So that God can remake us. This is God's whole project. This is his whole salvation. Step into allowing God to completely undo you. So that he can build you back up. This is what Paul talks about in Romans 8.29. For those whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. Friends, we have the incredible privilege of partnering with God in the process of being conformed to the image of His Son. We contribute the sin, we contribute the confession, the honesty with God about our sin, and then God contributes all the rest. God contributes the forgiving and the cleansing and the putting Humpty Dumpty back together again. But it's not just back to what he was. It's a transformation from one degree of glory to another. You are made into the image of Christ Jesus, his son. Only you've got to step into the remodeling process. You've got to get honest about your sin to let God remake you you got to be willing to be undone if you want to be rebuilt. That's all you got to do. Just be willing to be completely undone. Who's for it? Yeah. Pastor, I'm right behind you. You go first. Well, this brings us to point number two. Because we need it. The hope in confession. If we're going to be totally undone by it. We need some hope. In fact, let me, let me press a little bit more why we need hope. Did you notice again in that conditional statement in verse 9. He says, if we confess our sins. Right, So the, the point is, we're in darkness, often with our sin. We need to confess it to get into the light, to enjoy fellowship with God. If we confess our sins, then he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the question becomes, every sin? Like, what if I miss one? What if I miss five? What if I miss one really big one? If John is saying here that we must confess every sin all the time, all those unconfessed sins, if we, if we don't confess them, then they're not forgiven in some way. If that's what John's saying here, then we are doomed. We are doomed. For if you, O oh Lord, should mark iniquities, O oh Lord, who could stand? Psalm 130, verse 3. If John is saying, we are obligated, legally obligated, to pay for every sin unless it's confessed, then we have no hope because we will never confess every sin. So where is the hope? Where is the grace? Where is the help in all this? Well, the grace of God for us is found all over this passage, but look particularly at chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Let me draw your attention to the grace of God here. Chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. John says, if anyone does sin, if anyone, if, anyone, if anyone does sin, if you sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. All right, this is, this is the good news of the gospel that we need. This is the hope that we can have about our sins, about how many sins we have, how bad they are, and if we miss any, this is where we get help because we're told here that Jesus is both our lawyer And our lamb. That's what he's talking about here. John starts off and he says Jesus' role, first off, is as our lawyer. He is our advocate. He's the advocate with the Father. The advocate being a lawyer-like position. Jesus stands before the throne of God testifying in favor of us over and against our sin and its due punishment. You see, good news for you is you are guilty of your sin, but you have been assigned the best defense attorney there has ever been. He's never lost the case. He doesn't lose one of his sheep. He won't lose for you. He is up there in heaven, arguing, advocating on your behalf. An advocate who every time you sin, pleads your case in the heavenly court saying, Father, that sin's been paid for. Father, my life for theirs. Father, my righteousness for their righteousness. That's what he says, right? Jesus Christ the righteous. And this is why it is so helpful when we're considering, okay, but I'm going to miss certain sins I won't confess. My my confession, my repentance is going to be imperfect. I I won't confess every sin and even the sins that I do confess, I'm not going to confess them thoroughly enough. I'm not going to confess them good enough. So can I really ever be fully forgiven and know God and his fullness and his fellowship? No, listen to this. Yes, get this. That Jesus is our righteousness means Jesus has repented in your place. Jesus is your perfect repentance. Every time you have imperfect repentance, Jesus is in heaven advocating, but Father, I repented perfectly for you say, okay, Jace, that sounds good. I like that, but where is that in the Bible? Help me see that, Jesus." Uh, Jace. I'm not Jesus, I'm Jace. Help me see that, Jace. Yeah, you didn't need that clarification, did you? <sighs> this is where you see it in the Bible. Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. John was preaching against sin. His was a baptism of what? Repentance. Baptism of Repentance. And who was the one who showed up on the shore looking to be baptized? The sinless one. Why did the sinless one show up for a baptism of repentance? John was confused by it. He was befuddled. He tried to stop it. He said to Jesus, I need to be baptized by you, and yet you come to me? And Jesus told him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. In other words, I need an opportunity to repent perfectly for my people in their place. What Jesus is saying is he came to receive a baptism of repentance not for his own sin but for his people's sin. He came to identify with us and to repent perfectly in our place. And friends, this is such great news for us. Even our repentance, Jesus performs perfectly in our place. He fulfills all righteousness. So if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the Righteous. Jesus is our lawyer, advocating his perfect righteousness in our place. And Jesus is also our lamb. Jesus is our lawyer, and John says he's also our lamb. His ever-living intercession for us is made possible by his sacrificial death for us. There's no advocacy before the Father without propitiation first. So John changes imagery here. He moves from the courtroom with the lawyer to the temple as a lamb. And from Jesus being our advocate to his being our atoning sacrifice. He is the lamb that was slaughtered at the temple for our sins. So this word propitiation, it simply means satisfaction. So that Jesus is the propitiation for our sins means that in his atoning substitutionary death on the cross... Jesus satisfied God's righteous anger against our sin and against us. He satisfied God's wrath against our sin. He satisfied God's wrath against us. So that God's not angry at us ever again. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's none left. It's all gone. God never frowns upon you. God is never ashamed of you. God never hides his face from you. God is never disappointed in you. Jesus bore it all. All that remains is God's favor. All that remains is God's goodness towards you. Jesus is the propitiation for our sins and, can we get excited about this? Not only for our sins, John says, but also for the sins of the whole world. You know what that means? It means anybody can get in on this. It means this is so good. Anybody can get in on this. You mean my sin, Jace? As bad as it is? You mean them out there? You mean you mean anybody? Anybody can get in on this. Anybody can get in on this, so if you have never confessed your sin if you have never confessed your sin and placed your faith in Jesus, you can today and right now in heaven, Jesus becomes your lawyer and your lamb. Jesus becomes your advocate before the Father and Jesus becomes the death in your place. His life for yours, his death for yours. And you are saved. And you have fellowship with the Father. And you are in the light. Oh, man. Friends, I want you to see this. We are forgiven in Jesus. We repent in Jesus. We hope in Jesus. We confess in Jesus. It's Jesus, 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 all the way, Jesus. So the kids really are right. When you ask them any question and they say, Jesus, they're always right. Kids, that is the secret answer to get you 100% on every test. It's Jesus. So what are we to do with all this? I thought we were talking about confessing sin, Jason. You've been been talking about Jesus up in heaven and Jesus our Lawyer and Jesus our Lamb. And What do we do with this practically? Here is the practical application for you. You can confess your sin with no fear at all. None. There is no sword of judgment hanging over your head. So, you can get as honest with God as you possibly can about your sin, all the while banking on the promise of God to you in Christ Jesus that He is faithful and He is just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You see, what Jesus has done has made a bridge of grace for you to just be able to confess your sins so freely. Never have to worry about what God is thinking of you, except that He loves you in Christ Jesus. Confess what you see, acknowledge what you remember, trust what you don 't to the Lord, and receive forgiveness and cleansing all the way down. In the summer, my kids love to play outside uh, i 'm sure your little kids love to play outside too, or they did you remember that right and and your kids are probably like my kids, I don't think my kids are unique in this, but they do have a special gift, I have found. My kids are extremely gifted at uh, one particular thing and that is getting dirty. They're just very good at it, especially my four-year-old Caleb. It's like he wallows in dirt. I don't know how he does it. It's like he takes piles of dirt and he just kind of, you know. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just like, what? what happened to you? Like, did you jump in mud? You, yes. <laughs> my kid, so here it is. It's like the, this passage is like this. It's like when Caleb comes into my house covered in dirt from head to toe, as he often is, but then noticing only that his hands are dirty, says to me, Dad, can you help clean me up? Dad, can you help clean me up? He sees his hands. I see all of him. And he says, Dad, can you help clean me up? And I say, sure, bud. Let's go take a bath. Because I'm going to get you clean all the way down. Caleb only sees his dirty hands, but I see how dirty he is through and through. He only asks me to get his hands clean, but I intend to get him thoroughly cleansed. And friends, this is what it's like with our Father in heaven. He delights in taking our small, short-sighted confessions and giving us in return the fullness of forgiveness and a cleansing that goes all the way down. So here is the hope we have in confession. It is no less than Jesus Christ himself and the fact that in Jesus God is faithful and just to forgive us. We are faithless, we are unjust, we sin against God and we sin against each other. But God is always faithful and always just. He keeps his promises to forgive and to cleanse us in Christ. And he honors and values the saving work of his son performed on the cross. He honors that every single time. God is just. Jesus is our hope. It really is Jesus. And Jesus. And Jesus. All the way around. So in conclusion... John would have us grow in grace, not sink in sin. He would have us grow in grace, and so he directs our attention upward and outward. Look at God, he says. He is light. Look at God. He is light. He is like the sun, which if you stare into it directly, affects your sight. When you look at the sun and then look away from the sun, everything else looks darker, and you see black blotchy spots. Well, God is like that, only when you stare directly into Him, what happens is your sight is affected so that you see the darkness in yourself. You see the black spots that remain in you. Know God, and know yourself. Know yourself to know your need for God. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Knowing God in truth enables us to know ourselves in truth, that we are not all that we try to be, but are instead very adept at using all kinds of shifts and evasions to avoid conviction. We are not as sinless as we would like to imagine we are, but in fact are desperately and daily needy for forgiveness. The knowledge of God that leads to this kind of knowledge of self is what leads to a life of consistent confession. And a life lived in consistent confession experiences more deeply and more regularly the forgiveness and the fellowship we have in God. If we confess our sins he is faithful and just to remit them, to remove their stain And to renew our fellowship with Him. Every time. And it's only and always through the blood of Jesus. So let's start confessing our sin. And knowing God better. Would you pray with me? God, it can be a fearful... And a sobering thing to come before you and be honest about our sin, our shortcomings, our failures, our rebellion. But when we set our eyes on Jesus Christ, we are reminded that your heart is fully for us. You held nothing back. We can hold nothing back. And what you gave is more than enough to cover what we bring. Though our sins, they are many. Your mercy is more. So God, we pray that you would help us to go into this year being more honest with you and with each other than we have ever been before. And as a church, may we know the richness of your fellowship and the sweetness of your forgiveness. May we also take this good news out into the world that anybody can get in on this. Jesus Christ is the righteousness and the advocate and the propitiation for the whole world. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.